Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Welcome to the First Gen Hunter Podcast. If you are excited about hunting season getting closer, please press the horn sounding device on your vehicle at this time. Thank you. Did you get any weird looks from the other drivers on the road? I hope so. I hope you did it. Hope you're so stinking excited about hunting season coming that you were honking that horn like crazy. Anyway, back on topic. I hope you're getting your summer prep work completed, and I hope you've avoided poison ivy, wild parsnip, and all other nefarious plants that want you to suffer. Visit firstgenhunter.com to find an article that will tell you how to avoid all these sadistic weeds. Today we have the privilege to listen to a true whitetail expert, my friend Chris Dyer. Chris is passionate about whitetails, and just being around him a few times since I met him last summer, I am already a better deer hunter and shed hunter, and I'm confident this interview will help make you a better one as well. In fact, this is the kind of information that can literally put you years ahead of the learning curve for most hunters. Now, get out your mental notepad and get ready to learn because class is in session with Episode 8, Expert Whitetail Scouting Tactics with Chris Dyer. Hey, Brandon. Hey, Kent. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, man. We're here talking hunting, and uh, yes. it feels so good to do that, you know? What I look forward to. Chew. You know, the the listeners might not know it, and we, we kind of mm. tried to hide it, you know, because we didn't, mm. didn't want to, mm-hmm. like, look like total noobs, but the yeah. first, like, three or four episodes we recorded in, like, I don't know, eight days. <laughs> I was getting kind of used to it, you know. I was like, I man, know, right? my first Seriously, episode I when I listened to that, it's like, oh man, facepalm or, or, or whatever. Uh, but the listeners but, uh, have been gracious to us. That's right. That's right. That's right. The the listens are coming in, which is great. It's encouraging. Um, but I was getting kind of used to the, you know, the fun games that we were having. You're just getting to talk yes. honey every night and. <laughs> that's not like that anymore you know it's just we're kind of, we're kind well, of down say, to you know, one a week here absence, absence makes a heart grow fonder you know so with a little <laughs> bit of time between when we talk about hunting so that kind of gets us even more excited and i mean we've had some sweet interviews and i mean it's just been things have been rolling in a real positive way so it's super exciting dude you ain't fooling on the interview front we're <laughs> right uh, I the know. first the first interview the first episode of not just brandon and me mm-hmm. well actually no 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 that's not true because we had jake in episode six but you know that's kind of like everyone probably kind of like you know they roll their eyes a little bit he got his brother you know jake's awesome though jake did a really nice job with that <laughs> hey, and, yeah, his, absolutely. and his yeah. his uh first gen story i thought was really cool and and a lot of fun oh my goodness, yeah. i mean i i still laugh all the time when i listen to that episode so yes so 
but maybe to the to the listeners they they'll find these other interviews more legit since i had to go outside my own uh family here and you will <laughs> not be disappointed um we got uh one uh with my buddy chris that's mm-hmm. dropping next week and speaking of that interview with chris that's actually this episode right now we're talking we're doing this this pregame which is technically a mm-hmm. post game because brandon yep. wasn't able to come all the way out to iowa to do this interview with me i don't know what's wrong with him <laughs> during normal work hours but but uh no there's nothing i would have rather been able to do i'll say that much <laughs> <laughs> yeah man it was an awesome interview I, yeah I, you know i've listened to so many hours of deer hunting podcasts through mm-hmm. the years which mm-hmm. are, you know kind of inspired me to do this i don't want to downplay them you know those that's great sure, stuff yeah. but <clears throat> i got a buddy who i hope to have on the show sometime as well in an interview who says the the best hunters are the best outdoorsmen are the ones you haven't heard of and Why? and uh, that you know there's probably some truth to that those those quiet humble guys that just get it done you know and yes and they know what they're doing yeah um, that's that's certainly chris uh i just remember sitting there during the interview and if you ever hear any like loud bangs or anything it's probably just my jaw hitting the table you know where i'm just <laughs> right. like wow i never thought of that you know yeah yeah <laughs> right. like, i've never heard that before mm-hmm. um and chris backs it up i mean the guy's killed a lot of mature big bucks through the years mm. and um he's he's somebody who his his life is whitetails pretty much you know he he that's his yeah. passion that's that's what he that's what he puts a lot of time into and and um i think i think listeners are going to see that when they or hear that i should say when they uh listen to this episode mm-hmm. um, with with chris so i'm really excited for you guys to uh, get to enjoy what I've already gotten to hear, and I'm excited for Brandon to get a tune into it. And I am so excited about that! Yeah, oh my goodness, it's 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 really awesome. I mean, it's it's a really good episode. So, um, I don't want to oversell it though. I have a bad problem with doing that. You know, it's just like man, <laughs> but I don't think I can with this one. It's it's just really a, a good quality episode. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. enough of that. We got to do some of our classic what's going on in the hunting and fishing life of Mr. Brandon Martin. And, uh, you know, I almost feel like the co-host to you, dude. You, like, carry the show. So, Oh, uh, no, dude. You you are doing an amazing job. And, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm just tickled to be able to be a part of it. And, I mean, it's cool that we have the different perspectives, you know, East Coast, Midwest. I mean, you know, I've been – just enjoying, uh, you know, being out here in Delaware and enjoying you know, a little bit of saltwater fishing, a little bit of freshwater fishing. This past weekend had a really cool opportunity to go. Kind of, we have a little bit of a tradition. I grew up with, and you, you've mentioned um, hossing things, you know, in, in the past, you know, <laughs> yes. or you know, being a hoss, whatever. It's it's funny actually. I I uh, had a, a best friend growing up. And, uh, we don't, you know, we don't get to see each other a lot anymore. He lives up in Pennsylvania, but, um, he was one of those guys that was, you know, my best friend growing up and it was, we called it Hoss and Hoss Adventures, you know, so his <laughs> nickname was Hoss, my nickname was Hoss and we still call each other Hoss when we see each other. And, uh, you know, it was so cool. It was, you know, we were able to grow up together. I was able to get him into hunting, get him into fishing, you know, I was able to see him, you know, catch his first bass, his first flounder, you know, we, uh, several years awesome. ago, he got it just a giant buck. 
and uh, you know, just so cool, so many cool stories. And so um, we were for a long time. He was able to come down to Delaware and hunt, uh, you know, during like shotgun season and whatnot. Um, but most recently, the last few years, we've only been able to get together in the summers for for fishing. And um, so I think for now, the past four years we've been able to get together for a flounder fishing trip basically right you know july 4th weekend um so you know we'll go out you know we're watching some firework shows in the evening and we're just we're jigging for flounder and uh we had a great time we're able to go out there and uh had a you know a couple cool things happen first of all we caught 10 flounder which was really cool um we were able to get uh a, a trout um which out in delaware in the in the saltwater side of things when i was growing up uh, saltwater trout. I mean, you would catch those things by the bucketfuls. I mean, you. Would, I mean, awesome. we would just nail them all the time. But you know, in the last ten years or so, they've really like you. You don't catch very many of them at all. Um, so it, now the numbers are finally coming back. So the fact we were able to catch a keeper was a really cool little treat. And then, interestingly enough, um, uh, my buddy, uh, the other hoss, when he <laughs> when he reeled in a flounder. <laughs> I had never seen a sand sand shark go for a flounder. As he was reeling it in, a sand shark came up and tried to bite the flounder, which was really cool. I mean, I'd never seen that before. We also caught like a three-foot sand shark and another shark. I mean, so it was just a really cool. cool trip. I mean, it was just neat. You know, you're, you know, it's, what a great tradition. You know, it's in the evening. You know, it's a 95 degree day. It's cooling yeah. down. You're able to kind of fish or flounder into the dark. You're seeing fireworks. You know, in the, you know, in the distance. It's just kind of a cool little tradition we have going. Um, and then the next day, um, in the evening, I was able to take my son out. Um, just, you know, freshwater fishing. Just going, you know, just, just the old bobber and a, and a real worm. You know, and just kind of that old, you know, kind of, uh, you know, the way we all did it as kids, kind of growing up yep. a little bit. And he just had the time of his life. You know, is it really the first time? Is it was actually the first time. He's three years old. Is the first time that I've taken him out by myself on the boat. You know, I've gone out Very with nice. he and, and my daughter a time or two. You know, my wife's come, whatever. But we've really been trying to set aside time for me to be able to do individual things you know whether it's outdoor related or not but individual sure. things with each of the kids and so it was really a, a cool thing to be able to experience that he caught he actually caught his first fish completely by himself um which was amazing because you yeah. know we had he missed a fish and i said okay go ahead and reel it in and we're you know we're we'll cast it back out there and as he was reeling in you know about a 10 or 11 inch crappie you know just nailed the line he rolled it in completely by himself and i mean he just you know it was able to you know put a video up on on the the facebook page for Huntfish life and just you know just i mean just you know it, it's pretty pretty special to be able to to just watch that you know enjoyment yeah. my last question to him was do you want to catch another fish and he was just pumped to be able to go <laughs> and catch another fish so i mean just an awesome way to spend, you know, do a little salt water, a little fresh water, a little friend, a little family. I mean, just kind of a cool little way to go about things. So, I mean, it was, you know, just making those memories and, and you know, cool to see, you know, my son just getting into it and loving that. You know, apparently my wife tells me when I'm at work during the day, he is, you know, essentially reenacting hunting and fishing or he's creating stories about hunting and fishing and playing them out as he plays That's in the awesome. house so i mean it's it's you know i i think you know obviously i say it kind of selfishly but I, I hope that you know that love continues to grow and that we enjoy many many good times over the years together with that yeah, for sure. I hope so too, man. That's that's so yeah. cool. And I did see that video because I'm yes. following the Hunt Fish Life on both Facebook and Instagram. And thank you. If you do the same, 
you will get to uh, see all that cool content as well. So uh, make sure you do that. And uh, it's a heartwarming video. I'm pretty sure at some point, uh, uh, your son's name's Ethan, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Ethan's like, I love you, Dad. And it's like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was just, sweet. That was sweet. Get out the yeah. Kleenexes, you know. I know, stuff. I know, I know. I mean, it's and you know what? That's... That's what really we're talking about, you know, is, is just celebrating everything with, with the outdoors. And, I mean, it's cool to just, you know, there's so many crazy things going on in politics right now. There's so many things, crazy things going on in the world. And, you know, it's – it's and, and those things are important, you know. And, and certainly yep. we, you know, want people to be involved in their communities and all that. But, you know, it, it's, it's nice to be able to – be positive about things. It's nice to be able to enjoy things. It's nice to be able to be unified about things. And I mean, it's kind of cool to be able to experience that within this context of just having fun. And, you know, when you can see someone else smiling, whether it's your son or whether it's someone else you're getting into it. I mean, we're about to, you know, this next weekend, I actually have the opportunity to do just like a little homegrown fishing tournament from, uh, you know, several, several boats from actually our church are going out and we kind of we oh, able to cool. set up just a, yeah, kind of a neat little thing, just, you know, like a little bass fishing tournament. And, um, at least one of the guys is very new to fishing has just kind of gotten into it. And I'm hoping to get him kind of into the hunting side of things, um, this coming season. And so just, just, you know, some cool stuff in the works and, you know, just enjoying life. You know, there's a lot to be thankful for and thankful to be able to get out and enjoy the, the good Lord's creation and make the most of it and see other people enjoy it. I mean, which, what, what more can you say? I mean, that's, that's just pure enjoyment right there. Amen, brother. Hey, that, that, uh, <laughs> buddy you want to introduce to hunting. There's this new resource out there for new, yeah. for new hunters. Um, I think it's called, uh, First gen hunter. The first gen hunter. That's right. Oh yeah, 100%. that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's oh, yeah. the one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the Yay. first gen hunter podcast. And yes, I, I think they even have a website that has links to all their social media pages. Oh. Uh, yeah, you, you should and send I can them. Tell you, send them that I, way. I I I am, and I can tell you as as someone who is a more of a seasoned hunter in just reviewing the articles and different content on there on first gen hunter. I mean really enjoying it myself and i mean it, it's cool that it really speaks to a broad base of yeah hey we're all about you know the first gen hunter the, the true first gen, gen hunter getting into it but also content and obviously the podcast related to seasoned hunters as well and how it all links together in just a beautiful cycle because you know ideally you have those seasoned hunters and outdoorsmen that are you know willing and able to be mentors to the younger hunters and and people who aren't into it but want to be into it and so we've talked about that beautiful relationship of how that complements you know both sides complement each other and so hopefully we, we see those those numbers of hunters those numbers of outdoorsmen growing hopefully we see you know family members taking responsibility to try to get their kids into it you know or their nieces nephews whatever so so many cool opportunities and it's been awesome to work with first gen hunter and and see this content come out and you know we're just looking forward to seeing that continue to grow and seeing ultimately hunters and, and take advantage of the resource and being able to enjoy growing and learning and and because that's what it's all about so it's about people it's about growing it's about learning it's about enjoying you know and, and i think that's one of the one of the very best things we can do to to just in being positive and unified man enjoy what the good lord has provided you know link together help each other mentor each other and you know the coolest thing about that too is many times when we think of being a mentor we think of, oh, the mentor is teaching the mentee, but 
in many ways, it goes the other way because as you're teaching someone, whether you're a teacher, whether you're trying to, uh, you know, help someone with a quiz, whether you're trying to teach them hunting and fishing, the outdoors, you many times learn a lot yourself because it, you're actually engaging more in the process when you're in that mode of mentoring or teaching. So it's kind of cool how when you engage in that, even as the the discipler or the 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 mentor, you're learning a lot more because you're actively engaged in the process. So pretty cool how all that works together. And, you know, many times, you know, those of us who may just be busy with life or, man, I haven't taken the time to get someone into it or whatever, you know, not maybe not really thinking about that, but it's worth a consideration um, that not only will you hopefully build the love into someone else, but you're going to learn a lot and love it yourself too through the whole process. So just excited to be able to be working with First Gen Hunter and some, some just amazing things going on. I'm going to have to have you, uh, like do my uh, <laughs> funeral someday, you know. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> bring a tear to my eye here, you know. <laughs> hey, it's uh, exciting times, man. Hey, what can we say? We that's love what right. We do. That's right. Now, hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, long and healthy life, right? Yes. And, Amen. And, and uh, many and, and and a few elk trips in there, and a few other trips. Many many things to come. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Now, we, I just have to theoretically be the person to plan those trips because as mm. we. Uh, that learned before true. that your plans oftentimes lead to disaster so speaking of of plans though speaking of yes. plans we, i'm excited we've talked a little bit about this i think mm. in episode mm-hmm. what was it oh man was it episode maybe it hasn't released yet i don't know might i don't, been, I don't we might know have, that it has yet we might have we might have been pre-gaming for an episode that has not yet released. So yeah, now yeah. we're kind of like giving information before future information will be given. <laughs> it starts to get confusing. It's like when you're watching TV and the people on TV are watching TV. You know what I mean? It's like what I, I, I is like re- what is reality, anyways? You know? Yes, what I mean? we're, we're in a dream in a dream. You know, one of those we're, types of things. Yeah, right. Right now we're pre-gaming an episode that I recorded like close to a month ago so you're right uh, right. (laughs) time 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 is all out of sorts here but Uh, that's okay we're having a good time with it that's right that's right well anyways brandon and i we're doing a hunting trip you're Mm. you're probably going to get to meet a few more members of hunt fish Mm. life because love it brandon's brothers are they're they're very much so a part of what goes on at hunt fish life they just Mm -hmm. aren't on the podcast i'm sure you'll Mm -hmm. you'll get an interview with them at some point or something but but um, yes yeah that'd be great and one of those plans is Mm -hmm. when we are on the road together Mm -hmm. to go and do a long weekend of hunting Mm -hmm. somewhere in the midwest that is Mm. not iowa (laughs) I'm pumped. So, somewhere well, we'll we'll even go we'll even give this much information. It is a midwestern state where you can get an over the counter archery white tail tag. And we're going to road trip it. And while mm. on the road, as long as everything works out okay. Again, we're yes. going to pretend I'm planning this here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're going to try and do a couple of podcast episodes while we're rolling down the road. Mm. And can't can't think of any better way to pass the time on a road trip than doing a show or two. That is going to be exciting. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, so uh, big things coming up. Um, I can't give too much more away yet um, uh-huh, uh-huh. because you're still going to even learn that we're going on a 
hunting trip together when you listen to some future episode, I'm pretty sure. Maybe it was yes. the past. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, it's getting close to bedtime <laughs> we're just, here. We're just loving life. What can right, we say? Right, right. So, <laughs> so uh, anyways, that's coming up. Make sure, make sure, make sure you are following along with Hunt Fish Life and First Gen Hunter on our social media pages, our yep. YouTube channels, although I'm not sure if Hunt Fish Life is there yet. First Gen we're, Hunter. We're, we're getting there close. We're close. Good, good, good. First Gen Hunter does have a YouTube channel. A few Love videos it. up already. A lot of them end up in articles and and so forth. But that's where you're gonna that's where you're gonna get to follow along. Feel like you're in the, you know, you're stuck in the middle seat with uh, uh-huh. with um, us knuckleheads. And um, <laughs> hopefully you'll uh, we'll have some some uh, antlers to show off by the yes. end of it. Amen. So well. Now, um, what's going on in your neck of the woods? You know, we talked a little bit about Delaware. How about you in, in out in the Midwest? What's going on with you? Yeah, so um, some pretty good news here. Um, uh, speaking of speaking of uh, Chris, I'm hoping he can uh, do a little uh, traveling to join up with me to go and uh, walk one of my properties that I hunt. One of my family, nice. yeah, property my family uh, has access to. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk with the NRCS. Um, the NRCS is a department. It's like a sub department off of. Um, the USDA, so U.S. Department of Agriculture, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. NRCS stands for Natural Resources Conservation Service. It is my understanding that I, I believe it's every county in the United States. Now, really low populated counties probably get merged together a little bit, would be my guess. Yeah. That's just generally yeah. how things go. But every county has an NRCS, I believe. So... Okay. That being said, what are they there for? Well, they help landowners with with basically maintaining a healthy property. So what does that mean? Well, mm-hmm. we want to keep a balanced ecosystem. We want to uh, uh, avoid things like erosion and uh, poor water quality, uh, you, you know, so runoff of animal, you know, livestock waste, um, mm-hmm. runoff of farm chemicals and fertilizer, runoff of, or um, destruction from, you know, livestock, um, yeah. invasive species control, um, timber stand improvement projects. That's actually in Iowa, something that the, the timber stand part of things goes with the the uh, state foresters, so the people that work for uh, the DNR, the Iowa DNR. There's actual yeah. foresters that will go and walk your timber with you, and uh, you know basically see. You know, I ask what your goal is for your your timber project. You know what, and it has to benefit conservation in some way you know and and benefit right. what their parameters are for why they're willing to help and mm-hmm. um you know generally that leads to better hunting so they kind of right. go yep. through and help you uh thin out your your timber stand a little bit so you can get enough uh sunlight down to the understory and grow up those brushy plants down there along the forest floor so that there's better habitat for things like deer rabbits mm-hmm. um 
you know, uh, pheasants, turkeys, uh, anything that you can think of yep. that can benefit from that better, um, that better low level habitat. And what that then right. leads to hopefully is not just better hunting, but, um, healthier populations, um, more sheds, right? That's a big one. Yep. You know, if you yep. got, if you got enough low, low ground, uh, bedding and, and, and oh, yeah. thermal cover, you're gonna, mm-hmm. you're gonna, have more deer staying through the dropping time of winter and uh, yeah. you're going to pick up more sheds on your property. So anyways, got in contact with them. The NRCS guy is going to help us with some pond work and uh, some, you know, maybe, maybe looking awesome. into some, yeah, some federal uh, programs to maybe do some lay aside acres or something like that. And the, uh, mm-hmm. the forester is going to help, help us uh with our timber stand improvement so i'll, I'll be uh doing a, a trip out there and maybe even do like a uh a, a vlog oh boy those those make me nervous but i think it'd be cool <laughs> i think it'd be cool give yeah. you something to laugh at anyways right yeah awesome yeah i actually tried doing my first vlog brandon uh over yeah? the weekend when i was hanging some trail cameras things got crazy i ran into a skunk saw a nice buck um about <laughs> <laughs> Ran into an entire family of raccoons hustling through the soybeans. It was crazy. But oh, anyways, man. I like took had all this crazy, awesome stuff going on. But I was like videoing my ear the whole time, you know, because I'm trying to walk. I don't want to fall in a hole or something. Or, or sure, right. Plus, you know, I get a little nervous just staring at the camera. It gets kind of weird, you know. So yeah, yeah, right. It's very much a rookie vlog, but I think I'm gonna try to release it. You know, just uh, it's yeah, good content. Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, people sure. can kind of kind of see uh, what's going on with first gen hunter. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Anyways, maybe I'll do one of those when I when I got the NRCS agent and the forester uh, working with me. And, of course, they'd, there you have, go. To, they'd have to be comfortable with it, right? But, sure. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> what are you doing with that camera, sir? <laughs> <laughs> it's for my vlog. We can convince them. We'll, we'll get them. We'll get them. <laughs> right, right. So, anyways that's uh that's been kind of the good news that i got other than just been doing some more scouting stuff uh got all my cams up for the summer kind of planning nice. out where i'm gonna be hanging my my stand when i go into hunt um and uh dude i just cannot wait for october it's yeah it's uh it's coming and um, i know It'll be here before we know it. I know it. I know it. And we'll be we'll be road tripping and podcasting at the same time. And we'll try yes. to, we'll try to make sure it's legal. You know, you're not supposed to have headphones in both ears while you're driving. So I'll even right. have the special single headphone headset so that we can record and still be legal. Maybe oh, I man, should love maybe it. I should be the one driving so that I stay awake by doing the podcast. Well, <laughs> no, no, that's that's too dangerous. That's too dangerous. I feel like I feel like if uh, if we're talking about hunting, we might be able to stay awake for for days on end. That's so right. I mean, you never, you know right. what I mean. We we could maybe try that. You know, do a do the uh, you know uh, an all weekend you know episode run. We'd probably be amped up. We'd be just fine. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, man, no doubt. <laughs> well, we should probably uh, let the listeners. Uh, get away from us rambling on and uh, dive into this really good episode. This is, I'm telling you, I, I don't want to oversell it. I just don't think I can though. I was no, just sitting great. there. I was, like, I was like, man, I'm learning so much from this. Listen to it. It's short. It's only an hour. It's like right exactly in an hour interview. Yep. Um, Chris just has so much knowledge when it comes to, to whitetails and, and he's got the proof. 
He's got the proof for sure. Yeah, yeah. Credibility is there. Yep. And uh, you got to listen to this. There might be some things that are a little bit different from other places where you've heard some, some, you know, deer hunting wisdom. Not that those Mm -hmm. resources aren't any good or that they're wrong or that Chris is more right. I just think that there's more than one way to skin a cat sometimes. Absolutely. And it's good. It's good to know as many of those ways as possible because mm-hmm. that makes you a better hunter and makes you more Amen. prepared for, for multiple scenarios out in the field. So yep. take a good listen, take some notes, um, you know, uh, uh, give us some feedback, reach out. Um, by all means, check out our check out our uh, other content that we have. Uh, give us a give us a rating on iTunes. That helps us for sure. Uh, and um, mm-hmm. uh, be sure to be sure to just connect with us any way you can. So, without any further ado, here is episode number eight with talking about whitetail scouting with Mister Chris Dyer. I know what you're thinking. He just said, without any further ado, we're going to finally get to this amazing interview he's been promising us. I apologize. But it's for a good thing. It's for your tip of the day. Something that you can hopefully turn around and use in the woods just as soon as hunting season arrives. Recently, I talked to a guy, and he was, this was in another interview that's coming up, another really good interview filled with really high-level deer hunting information the guy was talking about bringing extra gear along into the field uh, in case you forget something or maybe it's just something that um, uh, you need like a water bottle or uh, maybe some rain gear maybe a chair for your hunting blind whatever it is when you start buying gear for hunting season one of the things you really have to take into consideration is how quiet will i be able to uh, use this item so what do i mean by that well metal water bottles for example i love them i have a ton of them they do a great job insulating but they sound like an orchestra when you bang that thing into like your tree stand or maybe on your bow or gun or on the tree so you're probably going to want to use something that's maybe like a soft plastic like a squeeze bottle or something uh rain gear that stuff can get really noisy when it gets cold or it can just be noisy anyways crinkling and crackling and and uh, making all sorts of noise when you pull it out of your bag uh chairs that's another big one a lot of times you might you know be like hey i could just pick up a a nice uh bag chair uh, from from the store and and put that in my hunting blind and sometimes yeah that's true and they're great chairs once again for every other use but when you're hunting, you got to make sure that that chair is not going to make all kinds of squeaking and and groaning when you shift around, kind of like you probably hear my chair do on the podcast from time to time. Um, certainly don't want to have that going on while you're in the woods. You just want to try and keep all that in mind when you're purchasing things because you don't want your gear to hurt you. It's there to help you, and you certainly don't want it to get in the way of you know that buck is is c- coming closer you go to shift your weight around a little bit and clang you know so make sure you purchase your hunting gear with that in mind and now truthfully without any further ado the interview with mr chris dyer 
Well, welcome back, everyone. It's great to have you tuning in. Um, I'd say it's great to see you, but of course, it's a podcast, and that would be really creepy if I said that. Don't worry, I can't can't spy on you through the uh, earbuds. I have uh, for you today the best whitetail hunter I know. And again, I am a first-gen hunter like uh, many of you are, and I haven't been hunting for a very long time, but uh, I have run into some pretty good hunters, and I can say this today because Brandon's not jo- able to join us. He's he's at work right now. Uh, my, my buddy Chris is also a, a science teacher like myself, so we could enjoy our summers and, and uh, do... Uh, do some stuff that's a little bit more fun than than uh nine to five like brandon is right now so uh i can i can definitely say that chris is the best uh, deer hunter i know because brandon can't say otherwise so anyways uh, i thought i'd bring chris on the show today chris how are you good good thank you again for uh being willing to to uh, help me out with this and and uh you know it's nice to have brandon here normally because he can be the expert on the show uh but since he couldn't be here today then you obviously uh you're filling that role for him (laughs) no worries (laughs) but uh um the thing that i really wanted to get chris's expertise on is something that he's already helped me with a lot and that is uh just the scouting work that goes into a successful deer season but before we do that I think it would be really helpful to just kind of get to know Chris as as a hunter a little bit. Just kind of hear his his uh, his hunter profile, I guess you could say, to to some extent. Um, but I'll just start off with uh, when did you uh, really get into uh, chasing whitetails? Um, well, my dad and I started hunting together. Neither one of us had ever hunted before. And about I was about nine at the time, nine or ten, and. We started with firearms first, and then just kind of worked our way uh, to the bow. But I uh, hunted a few years, didn't get my first deer till I was 13, um, and then from there just kind of caught the bug and just been doing it ever since. So that's, uh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I think that's probably kind of the the same path that uh, most people take with hunting. Kind of start off with the the firearm end of things you know take out some of those extra variables that come along with bow hunting you know and and um not that it's necessarily easy to to be accurate with a gun but i think it's easier to catch on maybe than than with a bow and really get get to a point where you're deadly accurate you know right with with a bow so so uh that's that's interesting to to hear that and probably a similar path that you know many of the many of our listeners take so um where exactly did you uh grow up doing your hunting at well my mom and dad were army so we moved around a lot but i spent kind of my teenage years um my early 20s in northern virginia i went to high school there and i did a lot of hunting kind of in suburbia we lived about a half an hour south of washington dc so a lot of the places i were hunting were um close to where people were living not really like big woods but just kind of like uh um, military installations for the most part, Fort Belvoir, uh, Quantico, uh, AP Hill, um, where the Army and the Marines did a lot of training. There was training areas that were open to the to the public uh, when they weren't in there. We went in there and, you know, uh, did a lot of deer hunting there. Um, so, um, big, wo- big woods, not necessarily, didn't really get out in the mountains or like the wilderness, but just kind of like suburbia, really. So, there was a lot of deer and a lot of these places wanted the deer gone. 
because of you know sure. traffic collisions and you know vehicle accidents and uh, that kind of stuff. They wanted one of the deer gone, so I just kind of that's where I kind of cut my teeth. Um, was kind of hunting suburbia, um, Virginia. There was uh, you know so many deer they'd let you take a deer day <laughs> uh, for most of the season, and uh, there was there were some some days when you get more than one deer just because oh, there's so wow. many. But uh, yeah, I I don't know. I think one of my buddies and I one day I think we got three. Um, wow. I think I think one season I, I shot upwards of nineteen twenty deer in one season one year. There's a lot of deer. Wow! So, but uh, you donate it, keep it. We ate a lot of it. My family, my brothers, we ate, we ate a lot of the venison. But uh, yeah, I mean that's just kind of when I started. It was just kind of about uh, numbers. I mean they wanted them gone, but at the same time it was it was fun to get them. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've I've heard some of that, you know, up there in the D.C. area where some of that, uh, I like how you, 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 I think that's a good term for it, suburbia deer hunting, right? Yeah. I think there's a, a guy that's, uh, I think he's maybe connected with uh, First Light uh, brand. I might have that wrong, but uh, his name is, uh, I think it's uh, Taylor Chamberlain, and he, he uh, kills, he does, I think, almost all of his hunting in, in D.C., and you know just on private property gets permission and stuff and right there in people's backyards oh, really? yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's sounds similar to kind of what you're doing so yeah i can remember vividly like uh one 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 of the installations i hunted on i could hear people's alarm clocks going off in their house <laughs> and dogs barking in the yard and people talking as they're getting up in the morning so, man that yeah. that would be a different a different type of hunting to get used to for and sure. then the deer come by and you know, whack them <laughs> it's kind of it's different that's <laughs> yeah. for sure yeah definitely definitely so w- with that then let's kind of set up the uh the paradigm shift here for you so grew up hunting in northern virginia uh kind of cut your teeth on it there and then then you moved yeah i uh in iowa i've been here uh was well, this, this is my 12th year teaching out here so i've been here about a dozen years um big difference out here from virginia I, you know, I talk, 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 talked about it before in terms of like uh, topography and kind of lay of the land and stuff. To me, it's kind of the opposite. Like in Virginia, there was a lot more woods than there is out here in the Midwest, and fewer fields. And in Iowa, in the Midwest, it's a lot different. There's more, uh, more fields and kind of less woods. So that was kind of like uh, probably the biggest thing to me coming out um, to the Midwest, kind of transitioning and, and, and learning how to hunt out here versus. Uh, hunting in uh virginia and virginia and the east coast it seemed like there was a lot more places that the deer could be because there was more timber in a lot of areas whereas out here certain areas you might have just a little bit of timber and some ditches and stuff so you kind of kind of key in on where the deer are maybe a little bit quicker out here in some situations but uh it's not like that everywhere in the midwest there's 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 big vast timbers but nothing like uh you know the appalachian mountains and the east coast in terms of like you know just like thousands yeah. and thousands of acres of timber trees, I mean, a big trees yeah. per square miles yeah know. i mean a big timber out here i don't know might be a couple hundred acres maybe some spots yeah you know, so yeah yeah so i guess going off that was that was that learning curve like adjusting to the the different landscape was that something that right away your first year here you you were able to dial in on it pretty quick or did it take a little bit of time to kind of figure it out um i'd say you know it took a little bit of time to figure it out i mean we're still looking for deer sign you know the common stuff that everybody's looking for you know tracks and 
rubs and scrapes and, and scat and droppings and you know deer too uh, but I mean you could kind of key in on where you you think they'd be based on you know um, timber that would hold them or you know something some kind of structure that would hold them but uh sure just uh I, in, in many ways I thought it was kind of easier to find them because there was less timber so you could right. kind of get to those areas and be like yeah they should be here and usually there was some sign as long as sure. there was some stuff they needed close by uh, the resources whatever that might be water food but uh just uh you know it's just kind of like I don't know you know every area is different you just kind of kind of got to feel it out and boots on the ground kind of thing right um, but uh yeah I mean it, it took me a little while to figure it out but I mean you know deer are pretty you know kind of wherever they're at they kind of have you know the, the three basic needs you know food water and cover and if mm-hmm. they got that kind of stuff you're gonna probably, you're probably gonna be you know, kind of be in them as long as you know there's another factor too that people don't you know they think about but maybe they don't think a lot about is just kind of like human presence it seems like the more human presence you have in an area there might be deer but uh maybe the kind of deer that you're looking for might might not be there sure so but uh you know it took a little while to kind of kind of figure out the game out here but uh it's just a different world in terms of hunting for me it was like it was totally flipped yeah so, <laughs> so did that play into your decision to end up in in iowa from oh uh, Virginia? i just you know from the time i was probably 13 14 15 years old like uh you know i'd come home from school most guys most kids were playing video games or you know sports and that kind of stuff and i was big into you know soccer for a long time but i'd come home and uh i'd read deer hunt magazines man that was kind of my thing I'd get my yeah. snack and, and go down into my room for a couple hours and I, if i had a new magazine i'd read it cover to cover the day i got it i just kind of <laughs> you know you start reading these things and you you start keying in on kansas illinois iowa minnesota i mean all these big deer that guys are shooting consistently year in and year out not all of them but a lot of them are coming from the midwest you know so I was like, yeah, someday I'll be living in the Midwest. I knew that pretty young. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so. that's awesome, man. That's that's somebody who's who's truly passionate about hunting. You know, to to kind of even at that early of an age, be like, you know, that's that's where that's where I need to be. So that's that's really cool. So um, uh, let's let's you you started to give us a little bit of a preview there, but um, the thing that that I think, uh, you know, really has stood out to me in the, the time that we've gotten to know each other is just how well you're able to, to like pick apart, a an area or a property and, and, and figure out what the, I guess maybe we could say deer potential is for that property. Not even just numbers of deer, right. You know, Mm -hmm. but like quality bucks, right. Mm -hmm. Right. something, Something that, that you're looking for, for, uh, uh, you know, maybe something a little bit bigger than you had the year before, or at least mm-hmm. that opportunity, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough to see, see, uh, some of your success. And, and I know that you're not just all about, uh, it's gotta be bigger than, than the year before. You know, if, if you, if you see a buck that you like, you're gonna, you're gonna let one fly on him. And if, if he gives you that opportunity. So, you know, I think this is where we can kind of have one of those moments where if someone's listening in does have a little bit more experience though, um, that, that wants to kind of get to a new level of, of deer hunting, you know, so I, th- I think listening in here, how you pick apart a property. So let's kind of, let's, let's go under the, let's, let's 
develop some kind of a made-up story here. So you've had this farm that you've had permission on for, I don't know, maybe three seasons now. You're getting comfortable there. You, you've got you got the lay of the land figured out. You've got three years of scouting in, and then all of a sudden, uh, landowner, um, they have a, a nephew come in, or they they um maybe sell or something whatever it is you lose access to that property and so now um here we are we're we're recording this in june we'll say we're in june and you're trying to find a a new place to hunt this coming fall so uh, let's just start with that what what exactly are you looking for when you're choosing a new property like you know what i think i'm gonna I'm going to get on a plat map here or, or one of those mapping mapping apps that kind of tells you the landowners and stuff. I'm going to go knock on a door and and uh, speak my piece, right, and yeah. and see if I can get access. So uh, I guess let's kind of start with terrain features, you know, because I think that's probably the first thing that you can identify on, like, Google Earth or, mm-hmm. or maybe even just driving down the road and you're kind of, like, looking at what the features are in the area. What kind of things are you looking for as far as terrain features go? Um, well, out here in the Midwest, we kind of mentioned earlier that in terms of timber, uh, you know, it's kind of a monoculture out here. There's a lot of corn and a lot of beans and and timber isn't kind of something that a lot of landowners and farmers necessarily like. So a lot of it Mm -hmm. is non-existent or gets pushed in just because it's not of as much value. Right. So I'm kind of looking for... You know, places that actually have a, have a little bit of timber. And it doesn't necessarily have to be timber. It could be CRP grass or some type of structure that the deer are going to gravitate to because it gives them some kind of cover or protection. Like, if you look around out here in the Midwest, it's pretty obvious that there's food everywhere. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that there's not a lot of in some places is a lot of cover. You know, so you kind of kind of find this place where the deer are going to feel as if they, you know, are, are safe. And, uh, you know, a lot of those kind of areas are, might be areas that are not, not close to a road. Or if you look at a topographical map and you see some of those, uh, topo lines that are really, really close together indicating Mm -hmm. that you got deep ditches and steep ridges, those are going to be some, um, you know, physical, uh, cues or landmarks, whatever you want to call them that are going to deter a lot of your, lot of your hunters because they don't want to walk back in there that far and that kind of steep rough terrain but you know deer it's not it's nothing for them you know they'll get back in there especially especially physical limitations that we do yeah i mean and and they they key in on that quick you know if there's not a lot of people back in those kind of areas um they're going to be there right you know so i guess when you know i'm looking for if i were to lose you know a farm and i was looking for another piece i guess i guess the first thing i would try to try to do is maybe try to key in on an area that has some kind of cover is thick uh, the deer like to be in hopefully it's you know uh, removed from uh, nearby roads and access and you know i don't know it seems like wherever you go there's people hunting but if you could kind of find an area that's away from where some other guys are hunting um sure definitely that's going to be helpful for you because uh, you're hunting you know deer that probably a little bit more relaxed aren't used to seeing as many people aren't on on edge as much um those kind of areas are are sometimes few and far between but if you're willing to kind of uh put on the boots and you know walk right sometimes get to those those kind of spots so i I, i'd say the key thing out here though is is something to hold them some kind of structure that they feel safe around Mm -hmm. um 
like I said, there's food everywhere. And you'll notice out here that some of the food doesn't get touched out here. There's still standing corn, standing beans. You think in like deery areas, and we're like, man, why didn't they get eaten? Mm-hmm. If you look around, there's there's nothing. There's there's nowhere for the deer to be. Sure. I mean, they got They got to have somewhere where they can kind of, you know, get out of sight, get out of the elements. You know, stay warm. Um, you know, they're just like us. They have needs. Right. If those needs aren't met, you know, we're not going to be in an area where we can't survive. Right. You know what I mean? They got they got to have an area where they, they feel really good about it, feel safe and protected. And, you know, so those are kind of some things to consider. And, and usually, not usually, but often, those kind of areas are away from people, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, especially when you're talking about, you know, older deer that have kind of been through a shotgun season or two, kind of yeah. know what's <laughs> up, you know. Yeah. So, but uh, I'd say structure in the Midwest, timber, thicket. CRP somewhere where a big deer is going to feel pretty safe. And it doesn't have to have a lot of trees. You know, it could be a ditch out in the middle of a, you know, hundred acre field. Sure. Just somewhere where nobody's going, and he just he feels good about. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, uh, this is kind of a this is a an extra question that I just thought of because is is a really cool story that you illustrated once about how mature bucks learn how to avoid people, and I think you were saying you were hunting a gun season here in iowa and right yeah. when you pulled up you saw a buck out in the field and then he disappeared yeah and you and you had to look closer and i think he was laying on the ground wasn't he yeah i had never seen anything like it before but uh there's i was hunting with a um a kid and he was going to push a ditch and i was going to go to the other end of the ditch kind of on the high end up along the fence line and as i was getting out of the truck saw a pretty nice buck it's actually that one right there on the wall that eight pointer <laughs> and uh um i was just kind of figuring out what i needed uh you know in terms of gear wise i was getting out of the car getting my stuff loaded and he was probably a couple hundred yards away just standing there looking <laughs> and uh i got my gun and got my stuff going locked up the truck and get going and looked over there with the binoculars and he was gone I couldn't figure out where he went, and I figured I'd have seen him cross the open field on either side of the fence line. I didn't see him do that. So I figured he was over there somewhere, and I just started easing over there. And uh, he had laid down next to a cedar tree and put his head down on the ground, kind of like a dog does when it lays on the floor. And all I could see was his, kind of his rack and his back <laughs> sticking up out of the grass. And I was like, wow, that's kind of... That's impressive. You know, he's kind of, he's kind of, you know, and, I, and I've thought about it, and I've heard stories of other guys kind of saying the same thing, like, on oh, deer drives a lot of big deer, just hold tight and let you walk by them. And you, if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense, because, well, to me, it makes a lot of sense. When you think about a doe, when she has a, a fawn every year, what's the first thing it learns how to do? You know, it can't, it can't usually run and walk for, you yeah. know, a while to keep up with her, so it, it lays down holds tight in the grass you know so yeah. it's like a behavior that is just like innate that they're born with and i think a lot of these big deer you know a lot of them figure it out like the ones obviously that don't they get killed sure. you know but some of these bigger ones out here at least where there's not as much timber they'll get down in a ditch or a crp stretch and they'll let you walk right by them yeah and uh what you never, you never i would have never really believed it till i saw it yeah, you know, I ended up missing that deer. I I snuck up on him. I got within about 150 yards, and then I, all I could see was his back. And I tried to lob a uh, shot from my muzzleloader in there, and I caught the caught some dirt right next to him, and re- heard the bullet ricochet. And I was like, dog on it. And he stood up and shoot. If I'd had a shotgun, I could have just chambered <laughs> another round and shot. But with the muzzleloader, it's a little different story. <laughs> but I missed him, and then I came back the next day, and uh, he was still in that area. And I caught up with him, got him. So just kind of worked out but i would have 
you know, you, you read stuff about these deer kind of holding tight or sneaking out the back door doing when you're doing gun season drives or pushes and stuff. And I don't know, until you really experience it, it's kind of hard to kind of wrap your head around. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting. Definitely, uh, I be- I'm a believer in that, that kind of stuff now. I think that's kind of what saves a lot of these big deer is they just, they just got the grit to, to hold tight when, you know, people are kind of within their bubble. Yeah, it's not to say they're not going to jump up and take off because I think a lot of them do that. But you know, given given the the situation, especially like high grass, or they can get underneath something and hide. I think you know, you know, it it it's definitely a, a behavior that's becoming you know more common. Sure, so. sure. No, that's that's a that's a great story to hear. You know, I talked before in a previous episode how I I asked a hunter, you know, how is it, is it or not a hunter a farmer uh you know i've heard that a lot of times deer old bed and standing corn i said you know is mm-hmm. just doesn't seem very logical because it's not very good bedding cover you know it's muddy it's there's not a lot of not a lot of like you know good good bedding material on the ground he's like oh no they you know when i'm out combining you know i'll, I'll scare deer up and he said one time he even um scooped up a doe with the the corn picking head on his combine yeah. right off the ground she was holding that tight and she bounced around on his heads and then took off running yeah. you know so so i think that's i think yeah. that's good that people understand that when when they're they're trying to factor in human pressure on deer and and uh figuring yeah. out how how the terrain will will help with that yeah. now, something else you and i have talked about before is and i'd never heard this before and uh again you know i haven't been doing this near as long as you have but you know i've done a lot of reading and and listening and and watching videos and stuff and and trying to absorb as much information on deer hunting in the past five years as i possibly can and i never came across this till i talked with you and i thought it was a great point and you had mentioned that that uh properties so like maybe you find a good piece of public ground that like butts up to a decent size like river or or stream bed or something how those would work as like travel corridors during the rut oh yeah and and, uh could you kind of explain how when you're looking at a property if if you see that's on a property is that is that a high priority thing to you big time like a river or a a tributary of a river, a big maybe creek or uh, some kind of stream. If you look like at any aerial map, and you know you're coming in from like the bird's eye view of a map, you're going to see like different timbers, mm-hmm. and not always, but a lot of times these timbers will be connected to one another via like uh, strips of timbers. And if mm-hmm. you really kind of zone in on those strips, you're going to realize that a lot of time there's there's some kind of waterway in that strip. And just like you and I travel down roads and, you know, state highways and interstates, during the rut, these are interstates. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is how these bucks get from timber to timber. Sure. You know, you know, some of these big deer might stay within one block of timber, but some of them are, are going from timber to timber to timber, checking on different doe groups. Right. And, uh, you know, they're, they're creatures of the edge. Deer are. I mean, that's the way they're built. They're, they're going to move along structure, especially where there's changes like maybe sure. a crop field or a timber or a timber in a CRP field or a waterway. And uh, the thing that it, it provides them is uh, um, security cover as they're going from timber to timber. And it also provides them with water and food. 
So they got everything they kind of need as they're moving through these highways or corridors, whatever you want to call them. And uh, in, in my experience, a lot of a lot of the the bigger systems out here that I've been around, mm -hmm. where I've seen some of the bigger deer. I mean, just it's uh, just kind of a connection that I I've, I've observed that uh you know a lot of these, all of them use the use these corridors, but uh, during during November when they're really on their feet moving and checking. Um, that's where I key in on. And if you can find kind of uh, a spot where they're forced through, people talk about funnels and pinches and that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. and then yep. figure out your access. Getting in there clean with the wind in your favor so they kind of have, you know, a little idea or hopefully no idea that you're, you're even going in there. Then you get an opportunity at them sometimes. Right. So... But uh, yeah, I would say you know waterways are huge. I mean, if you got some, if you say you got your own own place to hunt or your own farm, and you got a waterway on that farm, like a creek or a river, you need to key in on it. You need to figure out how the deer are moving up and down it. Where are they crossing? Why? Why are they moving through there? And then you got to figure out, you know, okay, how can I get in there, sneak in there, and uh, set up on them, and you know, hopefully get a shot at them. Because if you there, there's there's areas and uh, you know all different systems um, that are good. But if you really spend your time and you and you walk it and you think about how, think about how you're walking it, you know what what ways does it does the terrain kind of push you through and force you through? It's going to do the same thing to the deer. And if you can kind of figure out, okay, what what area, what what spot was I really kind of pushed through? What area did it kind of force me through in here? You know, consistently, and it, it might take you five times, six times as you as you as you come back to that farm and that property again and again. But you're going to figure it out. You're going to say, well, every time I come through here, I get. I get pinched. I get forced right through here, and, and the deer is the same way. And if you figure out how to get in there when the wind is favorable, man, it's probably going to be a, probably one of the best spots on that whole place for you. You sure. get in, if you get in there at the right time of year. You go in there the first day of the season and get up in your tree stand, and when it's 80 degrees outside, and you you know you're you're not you're not really helping yourself. But if you wait <laughs> if you wait till you start seeing them little bucks chasing does, and kind of everything's kind of getting ready to kick off the end of October you're probably going to be in pretty good shape but uh I you know going back to what your initial question was these waterways they're key I think you know that that's probably one of the best place, places to start because um they're high traffic areas deer use them all year long like right now in the summertime a lot of your big deer are laying down in these these cooler waterways where it's you know there's water because deer are like they're not like you and I they can't pant Right. Or excuse me, they can't sweat. They they pant like dogs. They and they they get hot, and uh, they got to be around that water in in the summertime, especially in uh, these waterways where it's cooler and um, it's just kind of where they're going to be. They're there all summer, and then they're kind of used to it, and then they get back and down in there in November, and you know, just uh, it's it's amazing to me. You know how oftentimes I'll see a big deer, and it'll be connected with some kind of some some system, some water system. They just it's there. They just go to uh, go to corridor. It seems like for them, especially when you know at that time of year when they're moving and searching. So yeah, I'd say it's key if you got a waterway in your area that you're uh, you're hunting. I would be up and down at both sides if you can, and uh, you know trying to figure out you know where trails are parallel and where they're crossing, and just kind of get an idea of where most all the trails are coming together. Because there's going to be a spot somewhere along that place where where most of the activities happen. Yeah, that's a that's a high level tip right there. That's something that, um, man. <laughs> but I, I wish I would have known when I was yeah. when I was first getting into hunting. You know, that's yeah. If I can if I can just go back and just hammer one point that I mentioned there. Sure. It's uh you know 
the, the farm that you're hunting or wherever it is you're hunting, it's it's not you're probably not going to figure it out the first time you walk it. Right. But as you as you kind of spend more time on it, and you and you start finding yourself in the same spot over and over again on that farm, ask yourself why. How come I how how come I'm always coming through here? What's going on here? Someone's pinching you through there. Maybe yeah. it's a field that's corner. A point, maybe yeah. it's a ridge that's dropping down. Maybe it's the the creek that's forcing you up through there. But when you get a lot of those factors that are working together, pushing you through a spot, man, it's going to happen to everything that comes through there. Right. Not just you, the deer too. And uh, it's just neat when you find one of those kind of spots because it's going to be one of those kind of spots that's going to be good at time and time and time and time again. And just you know, that's a great tip. put that one in your brain and don't forget about it because <laughs> yeah, it, right. it could be your go-to spot. Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic tip. That's that's that is huge to to know as a if you know if you are a new hunter listening in. That's the kind of thing that can uh, help you find success a lot earlier than uh, you know maybe most people kind of have to struggle along and and figure that kind of information out on their own. So that's a that's a really good tip. Um, you've mentioned this a little bit before, and you know this goes for much of the midwest you know i i i live in iowa myself and i grew up just on the other side of the mississippi river in illinois and and um you know it's the same way there corn and soy soybeans right corn and soybeans and and uh so that's going to be most ag that that uh deer hunters around here are going to be that's the card you're dealt right and so is there one that you kind of prefer over the other, or at different times of the year do you have a preference? Or good question. Um, well, if you look at the the two plants, soybean and uh, and corn, I mean, deer love them both. I kind of I kind of see them keying in on the, the new growth of the bean, and 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 the, and the corn in the summertime. They seem to really like that green. Sure. And, and I, I'm pretty sure it has to do with the water content. They really need that water sure. at specific times of the year. And then they come back to the grain, you know, the pod, and then the, the kernel uh, for that high energy, that sugar load, and then when, in winter to help them help them push through. Mm-hmm. Um, I like hunting them both. I've had had success on both. Um, one of my favorite places to hunt. Um, the, the farm I got permission on, you know, every other year it's corn or beans, and then the farm the farm uh, behind me is a uh, kind of on the opposite rotation so one year on the farm i'm hunting there's corn and then on the farm right behind me there's beans and i'm sent up on the fence line i kind of got the best of both worlds um when i'm doing when i hunt a lot late muzzleloader um it just it just seems like uh they're both good but whatever there's the most of is what the deer are keying in on they're just kind of kind of keying on like the, the, the the most you know abundant source in that in that area it just kind of seems like that's where they they push to kind of whether it be bean whether it be corn i i wouldn't really say one's better than the other they may be i'm not a deer i don't know i know there's more crude protein in uh in bean while it's green sure so they definitely kind of hammer that and focus on that and then it kind of seems like as it gets colder they t- they tend to transition to the uh, the corn um i i kind of feel like uh you know the hotter days of the hunting season kind of makes a little bit more sense to be around um a, a source that's got more water associated with it. I mm. think that's common sense. Right. Um, as it gets colder, I think they both have the sugar content as to which one the deer prefers more. I don't really know. But sure. uh, I think that if you get yourself in an area when it's really cold and there's a lot of uh, food, watch out. Yeah. yeah, Watch out. You're going you're gonna to be in, in good shape. Um, 
whether that be corn, whether that be beans. I, I kind of actually prefer hunting over beans late season just because you can see a lot better, but that's <laughs> yeah. just kind of personal preference. Um, you get standing corn, and sometimes you can see those deer out there in the corn, but once they get out there a ways, it's kind of hard to tell what they are. Right. Um, you know, you know, if you got your own farm, that's not necessarily a problem. You can just knock that corn down, but if it's not yours, right. you're kind of at the mercy of the, the situation. But uh, both good. I just, uh, you know, I kind of just kind of depends on the, you know, time of year for me. Sure. My dad's farm, our farm over uh, southeast Iowa, we uh, we kind of got a, a mix of uh, different types of oak trees that we don't have here in this part of Iowa. And uh, uh, you know, certain years when the white oaks and the red oaks turn on over there with the with the pin oaks, it's like a I don't know, it's like an acorn rainforest. It's just a, <laughs> it's it's awesome because you get bucks showing up from all over the place that sure. you didn't you didn't you didn't know about because they're keying in on those. It's like candy to them, you know. Yeah. But, you know, some years they, we don't have that, so just corn well, and the beans. Now, here's something I've kind of wondered about, and Brandon and I have talked about on here before. There comes a point where acorn, an acorn crop, because it's dropped on the ground and maybe gets covered under a couple inches of snow, rain mm-hmm. during the, you know, maybe earlier fall and stuff. When do those kind of stop being a desirable food source? Have you, have you noticed when that kind of like where it's like all right these are probably mostly rotten and deer aren't going to really spend time on them anymore and you'd be better off focusing uh more on like ag as opposed to acorns oh i think it kind of depends where you're hunting where you're at like in virginia i've seen deer digging through the snow in late december january Mm -hmm. going after acorns yeah so it kind of depends on you know there there was snow on the ground when i saw that so obviously they were a little more stressed out kind of digging for it um uh, you know, obviously, I think if you're talking about something that's rotten, you can you can definitely tell that, you know, you crack it open and, and it's just not looking good or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're, they're probably going to shy away from that. They're, they're you know, uh, going to look for something a little different. But uh, I think, you know, it seems like to me that the, the acorn crop is usually, you know, really good in October. And then as, you know, um, seasons change, they kind of they kind of tend to shift to as it gets colder. Uh, you know, m- maybe other food sources that are are, are available if they are available. If they are available, um, you know, out in Iowa it's not a big deal. There's a lot of corn and uh, row crop available for them. But in Virginia, East Coast, different places, you know, it sure. may depend. But uh, I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell um, in terms of for me, especially uh, when when the acorn might not be palatable to them. But if it's definitely rotten or mildewy or got bacteria growing on it, the deer are going to push shy away from it. They're going to look sure. for something else. But, uh, you know, in the big woods like Virginia where there's, you know, bigger timbers, there's going to be a lot more browse species too. You know, there's like honeysuckle, you know, greenbrier. There's all kinds of stuff out there that we don't really have around here. So right. they, got, they have a few more options, but, I mean, they might have to work a little bit harder for it instead of just walking out into a field, you know. Sure. But, uh yeah, if you got if you got any kind of food that is kind of just sat out there and stuff's growing on it and it's kind of old or you know, deer probably gonna, you know, if you can determine that, it's probably not gonna be something that they're gonna really want. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So maybe then taking that back to this idea, you're you're looking for a new farm to hunt. It's it's probably best to have both, right? If you have some of that, uh, that hardwood timber that's dropping yeah. acorns and and but then also that plenty of ag for them to switch over once they need to mm-hmm. uh, come the harder time of the year so yeah for sure. that's that's a good that's a good tip there on food um this one and just from talking with you in the past and you've kind of mentioned this a little bit too i think when you were kind of talking about uh 
you know wind direction and weather conditions and stuff you know as far as the right access uh getting into a property you know it, do you put that on a pretty pretty high uh, priority how you're going to be able to oh, yeah. access those huntable spots oh yeah i mean i've had I've, I've had opportunities to hunt farms that are just you know full of deer mm-hmm. um you know and you get pictures of really nice deer in there and you want to go in there and hunt but your options are limited in terms of how you can access and you know some of them are, are so bad that when you go into those those spots you bl- you end up blowing deer out and mm-hmm. it's just in in my mind you're, you're kind of almost wasting your time even going in there even though it's it's a good spot unless you can get in there without bumping those deer because i don't know if you've ever played dominoes you flick up you flick a domino over and you know it's a cascade effect it starts knocking the dominoes all the way down the line it's the same thing when you go into the deer woods if you if you bump one deer and he and he or he or she runs over that hill and bumps another deer and then that deer runs over another every you know not every deer but a lot of the deer in there are going to know uh-oh you know something's not right so you really in my mind access you know guys talk about it all the time it's it's like you know it's right up there with the wind direction. I mean, you can't if you can't get into an area without the deer knowing that you're there. Holy cow! Holy cow! Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you can still have success, but I guarantee it's not going to be as good. Or, you know, uh, it's it's just not it's not going to be up there with you know areas that you could get into without really disturbing them. And you know, um, so I think you know a lot of guys might think oh man all that all that good sign is, is deep in there you know all those scrapes all those rubs are right in the center of this farm i need to get in there and hunt but guess what you got to walk through the entire farm to get in there to hunt so i think you know you got to kind of think about you know how, how how could i how could i hunt this farm without disturbing the, the, the deer because right. that's key if you if you consistently disturb them you know they're gonna know Right. And, and you know their their patterns are probably going to change based on the fact that you're consistently disturbing them. You just kind of you got to kind of let them know that that area is their area. They can feel safe in there, just kind of like you feel safe in your home. There's nobody coming in your home, right? You know, consistently. Otherwise, right. you probably wouldn't feel too good about that. Right. Yeah. You know, so you know, you just kind of kind of use a little bit of common sense with it, and, and you kind of you know figure out where most of the sign is, and then try to figure out how they how are they how are they coming out of there, how are they what are they doing, are they living in there, they're bedding in there, okay, where are they going, you know, and then maybe try to set up on on, on the edge, and I just you know you, you'll hear a lot of guys talk about hunting from the outside in, you know, if you can remember that concept, you're going to do a lot better as a deer hunter. If you sure. kind of you kind of remember that you know the deer are inside, right, you know if you go inside there with them, chances are you're going to bother them, you're going to disturb yeah. them. But if you stay on the outside and you kind of observe and kind of pick your spots and try and kind of move around as they kind of do their thing, uh, your your odds of success are going to be a lot better. I mean, it's kind of like um, if I were to go into your home and move stuff around in your home. Do you think you'd notice? <laughs> right. Probably, yeah, right? Yeah, if, sure. I were, if I were to go deep into a, yeah. a, a deer's home in the woods and put up some tree stands and, and move around in there, do you think they're going to notice? Yeah. They're going to yeah. know. I mean, and just kind of, you know, if I was to stay on the outside of your home and just kind of watch from afar, you, you might notice, but it's probably going to take you a little bit longer to pick me off, you know? Right. So just kind of, you know, that, that's kind of something that, you know, I've read about, learned about, and it works. I mean, low low impact, you know, trying to, you know, you, you kind of you kind of might think, well, man, I got to get in there. All oh, that great sign—that's where they're at, and, and you're right. That's but there's a reason they're in there. Right. They're not being bothered. They're you know right. nobody's really you know messing with them in there. So you just kind of got to give it to them, let them feel safe, and then try to catch them coming and going. So yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. So so that might be another part of it then too. You got that clean access to get on that outside looking in. Yeah. But then this kind of takes me to my next point. So when you're looking to hang a stand, you're 
you're looking for those intersection points, right? Those when they're trying to say get from get from outside their home back into their home. Right. We'll use that keep using that example of their being the deer's yep. house there. Uh um you're looking for the sidewalk leading up to the house, right? Right. And yep. yep. And with clean access to get to that point. Exactly. And, exactly. and yep. consistent usage of that route, right? Correct. So now, how do you identify those routes? What's your What's your uh, key way of doing that? Well, um, I I think the number one way I've done it is is through shed hunting. I think that was something you wanted to talk about later. Yeah. For uh, sure. dur- during January, February, and March is is without a doubt the best time to scout because everything in the woods is dead you can see where the deer have been all fall the trails are obvious the rubs are obvious the scrapes are obvious you can see kind of the heavy trails you can see the trails that are not quite as prominent Um, you can get really get a feel for where the deer were and if you kind of follow those trails back it'll oftentimes lead you into areas where you know there's even more sign where there's beds and where they've kind of been laying during the day and then you just kind of get get a feel for okay these are the ridges these are the hogbacks these are the slopes that they've been bedding on this is where they're living these are the trails going to and fro um you know uh probably not going to come in here and hunt but i definitely want to be you know close you know close to these spots uh in november so i can kind of catch bucks checking does and you know does moving in and out with the bucks following um so um that's when i do most of my scouting um you know some of the best time to to scout is is just as the season ends most most guys you know are maybe worn out burn out and i am too but uh you know towards the end of january I'm out there. I'm out there looking for sheds, but at the same time, I'm really scouting and you know, learning my area better, sure. or, or looking at new areas and learning them too, and you know, kind of looking for those points where we talked about earlier, where a lot of trails get pinched in together, and the deer really have to come through there. If you can find, you know, three or four trails that are all kind of getting funneled through one area, coming from a bedding area where they're spending a lot of time, holy moly, man, you got them. <laughs> you know, you yeah. get in there and spend some time, you're going to see some activity for sure. Um, just you know, try to be careful about it stay clean and don't go in there when the wind's wrong because if your wind's going back up into where they you think they're laying holy crap you might hear a lot of deer blowing at you but you probably aren't going to see too much you yeah, know it's just kind of point yeah. it's just kind of the kind of nature of the beast you really got to kind of you know try to be clean getting in and out don't let them know you're there um you know and really really pay attention to the wind and that kind of stuff and uh you know i got i got a, a good friend that uh when he hunts He's got a totally different technique than a lot of guys. You might not think about it, and I didn't really think about it till he told me about it. It's like he, he hunts mornings just like you and I and most mm-hmm. everybody does, but when he goes in, he kind of waits to, instead of getting in there an hour, hour and a half before the deer, you know, in the dark, he'll mm-hmm. wait till the sun's coming up. He can see everything around him. And uh, I never really thought about it, but it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. You can you can ease in. You can see a couple hundred yards in each direction. If you see a deer moving on your way to your stand, you just stop, hit a knee, and let him go on through. Yeah. So in terms of bumping deer in the dark and sending them in different yeah. directions, very rarely ever happens to him because of the way he moves real slow and methodically through the woods to his stand, and he has has a lot of uh, success hunting public ground that way. That's that's yeah. an excellent tip. And I, if you've hunted at all and you're listening to this, or maybe you're thinking about hunting this fall or something, and that's one of the things as a new hunter you will feel the most self-conscious about when you go out for that first time is like, Am I out here at the right time? I don't even know if I'm, like, walking right and, and slapping a deer right on the rump, basically. You know what I mean? It's yeah. You can't see a thing. And so you yeah. just you, you feel like every little noise you make or every, you know, every trail you 
determined to take to get to your stand or your setup mm-hmm. yeah you you aren't you don't have that confidence that you're not doing exactly what you just mentioned so that's a that's a really good tip to to think about um yeah so let's we since we started talking about it a little bit here a kind of last thing i want to the last main point i want to hit with this conversation man i could i could talk with you forever man this is such i'm learning more now than i think i ever have before on on uh you know just breaking down a property and and knowing where to set up and everything so let's talk some more about shed hunting this is um you know from getting to know you as a friend and and uh you know you show me some of the sheds you've you've been able to to come across and and um just you know even talking numbers from times you know from different year to year and some of the things you learned through that you're a great shed hunter i mean definitely the definitely the the best shed hunter i've i've ever uh come across it's it's well, thanks, uh, I appreciate re- that. yeah for sure it's really impressive how you you uh um excel with that and to me what that shows is that there's you know a lot of times i think and this is certainly how I start out with shed hunting. You kind of, when you get into it, you kind of think you just got to cover every square inch of a property to, you know, leave no stone unturned, so to speak, to find sheds. But the fact that you do so well with it, I think is obvious proof that there's a method to shed hunting. Like there's a, there's a, you've used the term common sense several times, right? right. There's a common sense approach that hunters can take when they're shed hunting that then directly applies to their scouting for for next season can you kind of can you kind of walk us through how you use shed hunting to you know locate deer and and break down uh you know just the common kind of piece those things together those other pieces of sign you talked about rub lines and and scrapes and and um even scat and and trails and so forth can you kind of explain how you use shed hunting to connect all the dots yeah, well, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. You know, that time of year, January, February, March, is when I do most of my shed hunting. Everything's dead, and you can really get a feel for what everything looks like and, and where the deer really have been and, you know, right. kind of, you know, what, what they've been doing for the past couple months. Um, it also goes back to kind of what we mentioned earlier about structure and cover and shelter and food. If you, if you find those two things, at least out here in Iowa, you know, a lot of really good quality food in the wintertime, those, those months, close to some really really good cover that the deer feel you know safe in people aren't bumping them and moving them out of and you know even better if that cover protects them from the wind and the cold and you know maybe maybe it's coniferous uh in terms of having thermal cover that keeps them warm you're gonna find sheds um and it seems like when you're, when, you're, when you're shed hunting, it seems like the colder the better, the harsher the winter the better out here because it really keeps the deer kind of congregated around those food sources a little bit more, a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, in terms of learning, I mean, if you really want to learn about deer and kind of, you know, observe kind of, you know, where they've been and kind of how they move through the area that they're living in on the farm that you're hunting or wherever it is you're hunting, I would recommend you get out there as much as you can at the end of January and, you know, February and March when, when nothing's green and everything's dead and you can see all the tracks and all the trails and all the rubs and all their sign. And then it'll just start making sense to you. You know, and with some of this new technology they have, you can plot some of this stuff on Onyx maps or, um, some of these apps, you know, hunt stand or whatever they are, you'll, you'll get a feel for kind of how the deer are moving through an area 
and it, it'll start to make sense to you. And you kind of throw in the wind too, and you'll get an idea of how they're how they're using the wind to kind of um, you know be a little bit more safe and, and careful about how, how they're moving through. Not that they all use the wind, but a lot of the older ones do. Um, some of them I don't know that they ever learn how to use the wind before they get killed. But um, you know, a lot of those big deer. You know, they're they're not going to just randomly walk through the woods. You know, I think right. you know maybe that's not what you know people think, but it just it doesn't happen that way, man. Like when a big deer moves through the woods, he's usually moving through it with purpose, and he's usually using the wind um, as it, it to his advantage, and that makes it really hard. You know, hunting an area um, when a deer's moving through there with the wind to his, his advantage, but you kind of got almost really kind of feel feel it out and, and, and kind of think about okay you know if he's moving through this area he's forced through here on this kind of wind he's probably going to want to move through on this side so he can smell everything in this area or on the, on the opposite wind maybe the other side and you know uh, it just makes a lot of sense when you think about it like if a big deer was moving down a, a ridge flat on the west side of the ridge in order for him to be able to move through there confidently he'd probably want to be able to smell everything on that ridge so he'd probably need some kind of easterly wind to, to kind of pick up the scent of everything on that ridge mm-hmm. you know to feel safe but also you know maybe check for does that are uh you know coming in or near estrus and uh you know you got to keep that in mind because you don't you definitely don't want to be on that easterly side of the ridge if he's moving through on the westerly side because it's game over for you you know yeah. you, you want to kind of you know maybe slip up that uh westerly side um, maybe on the, the down slope of that flat where he, you know, um, is kind of creeping through. So you can kind of, you know, take advantage of that. But, um, you know, going back to what you said about shed hunting and scouting, it's just, in my opinion, from, you know, a personal standpoint, I've, I've learned more about farms in like, you know, uh, two or three weekends of walking them in that time of year than, any other time just because you can see everything that you really need to be able to see i mean right. you can get out there in the spring and the summer and learn but you're going to miss a lot of stuff because everything's you know gr- usually green and in some of those faint trails and some of that older sign uh, it gets covered up it's harder to see so it's still there it's just it's just a lot harder to see sure. with all the green stuff so i would really recommend if you're not a shed hunter and it's you know something you're interested in I get, i'd say get out there and do it just uh, go out there with uh um a mindset you're just kind of getting out there to learn and i wouldn't get out there with a mindset oh i gotta find sheds i gotta find sheds because i think if you do that you're going to set yourself up for some disappointment because it's it's you know a lot of times you go out and shed hunt you won't find anything it's just kind of the nature of the beast it's the way it goes but uh um you know just go out there have fun with it and and you'll learn just go out there with the mindset that you want to learn and you know get a better feel for your farm and you know maybe maybe you'll pick up the biggest shed you've ever seen you know sometimes that happens too but uh um just go out there and have fun with it and uh and that's the name of the game so sure yeah that's that's great advice man that's that's really good now one thing i know you're not huge on that a lot of people in the the whitetail world are and you certainly have your reasons for this um and you know the the proof i like to say the proof is in the pudding right you, yeah. you, you kill you kill a lot of big deer so so you have a method that works here um but summer scouting you don't do a whole lot with that right not not a ton i mean i i love looking at trail cam pictures just as much as the next guy it's, yeah. it's fun um you know i like to i like to get you know some cameras out on a lot of the farms i hunt just to kind of like you said earlier use the word inventory just to kind of get a feel for what's what's there what's in there it's, it's which is great you know but i also kind of feel like you're, you at, you know get, getting those pictures of those big deer in the summer is awesome but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be 
in that right. same area in the right. fall. A lot of times they'll, you know, they'll transition to different parts of wherever they're living at different times of the year. You know, as they shed their velvet, um, and food sources change. I've seen I've seen a lot of big deer. You know, you'll get pictures of them all summer, and then October hits, and boom, they're gone. You know, they maybe moved on to another farm or something. So it's kind of neat on on one side. You know, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. It's great, but then on the other side, it's like, ah, I think it's still going to be around. You know, you just, you know, it just seems like sometimes certain deer, you got to get them before they make that change in their pattern. Right. Um, it seems like as it gets colder, the, you know, a lot of stuff starts to die, and the food sources change. But um, you know, it's great. It's fun. Um, some of them will stay. I'm not saying that they're all going to leave, but you know, a lot of them do do. Uh, but some of them, you know, stay too. I mean, like on the farm that my brother, my dad, and I uh, hunt. Uh, there's always a couple bucks that we'll get in the summer. And, they're there all season but sure. there's, there's also you know some that that aren't you know they'll they'll disappear for a while maybe come back or some new ones will show up so it's great but i don't really rely on my uh my cameras um as as much as maybe i should or you know but i just i just kind of of the of the uh mentality that the more you go into an area for whatever reason checking your cameras or whatever i, I think i kind of feel like your chances of doing well on you know an older deer in that area go down right. i just kind of feel like the more you time you spend in there he, he knows you've been there yeah he just he, he knows and i just kind of feel like you know i kind of the bet my best area is that i know there's always consistently big deer on camera in the summer and i see him in the november i try to stay out of them and i really don't go in there until um at least like the end of october like the last okay. week of october um you know, if we get a really cold, cold day, like last year there was a cold day in the middle of October. I really wanted, oh, that work, I really wanted to be out. I, I probably might have thought about going in because that first really cold day in October, it just seems like those big deer, they can't help it. they got to get up mm -hmm. and move around. Um, but, uh, you know, I usually try to wait till at least at least till I'm seeing small bucks chasing does, and then towards the end of October they're – their hormones are just kind of through the roof and they're just they're moving like halloween it just seems like for a couple of days before halloween it's just time to be piling in sure. your good spots as long as everything's right and uh i just think you know a lot of guys i me included i get i get used to get so excited about oh it's deer season and opening day i gotta get in there <laughs> you know going into your best spot on october 1st <laughs> yeah is probably one of the worst things you could possibly do as, yeah. as a beginning deer hunter. I mean, sure. you're excited and you can't really control it, but man, just go somewhere else where you, you know, you know, you got a chance of shooting a doe and get a little practice, uh, you know, get some confidence right. built up, shoot yourself a doe, fill your freezer up, and then just kind of bide your time, man. Because uh, you know, you might you might get away with going in and hunting your spot once without him knowing a whole lot, but you start going there two, three, four times and you just kind of pounding it, pounding it, pounding it. You you might get him on camera, but it's probably gonna be at night. You're probably never gonna see him. Yeah. Just kind of once once he figures out that you're in there, uh, depending on the pressure in that area, uh, it, it could be a, a, a game game over kind of deal. Sure. Yeah. So well, that's a that's an excellent tip, especially for for new hunters. Uh, Brandon and I have also talked about that. Where when you're new to something, you you're so badly wanting to have that success, but you don't you don't quite know enough yet you know and you, you can't because you can only learn so much you know each year yeah and so uh sometimes i think uh, us new hunters we try to compensate for that by quantity over quality right yep. so we have more sits but not necessarily better sits and yeah. so uh that's a that's a great thing to try and if you if you really you know i i honestly plan to re-listen to this podcast several times just because i've learned so much from from chris and the the hour we've been talking here but but um you know go back re-listen to this and kind of kind of uh take some notes to some extent and that 
that I'm telling you will just set you so far ahead as a new hunter taking some of these tips and putting them into practice that that Chris is walking us through here so uh, with trail cameras Chris when, when you do use them um, and, and again really kind of with the idea of you want you're wanting an inventory you know you want to see what what shoot shooter bucks are are in the area and and that kind of thing but do you have any trail cam strategies that maybe can help somebody who wants to use them translate to you know not just having you know it can be fun to have those those trail cameras set up when you're shed hunting that are like right in the core of the property where all the deer are and yeah. you you go and pull that card you know a year later and it's just you know like christmas morning seeing yeah. all that cool yeah. stuff but that's not a huntable trail camera that's not something yeah. you can really then go in there and be like all right good i've been seeing all these deer here. i'm gonna slap yeah. a stand on that same tree yeah. you know how do you how do you kind of blend the two together if you wanted to put your trail camera in an area where you know you go and pull that card say maybe mid-September, getting ready getting ready for the, you know, hunting season to kick off. And, you know, that's that's an area you're going to be able to put a stand. What what kind of things need to kind of come together, do you think, if you're going to be able to kind of also hang a stand where you ha- like to hang your cameras? Yeah. Um, I, I uh, you know, like you mentioned, it's great to use cameras to get an inventory and get a feel for what's out there. But I think... Um, using them as a tool to learn from is, is definitely more important for me. Right. Um, putting them in, I like putting them in areas that I haven't hunted a lot, and then I just let like leaving them, mm-hmm. and then you know making sure that every the settings are good on them, so I can come back at the end of the season and say, man, this is what was happening in this area. It's definitely worth another look or scratch it off my list. You know what I mean? Right. You can get a feel for you know are they are, what kind of deer are in there? When are they moving through? Um, you can even backdate it. You can go to the dates and then you can backdate, uh, you know, uh, weather direction and get a feel for what was the wind doing when he was coming through here on this day and get a feel for, you know, mm-hmm. okay, this is how he was moving through there on there. You know, when you're hunting specific deer, sometimes, um, that's a really good strategy because right. you get a feel for what type of wind direction he'd like to have or use when he was moving through right. that, that area. Like this past year, uh, my brother and dad and I were hunting a really large deer and uh, when the wind was out of the west, he tended to favor the east side of the timber that we were on. And when the when the wind was out of the east, he tended to favor the west side of the timber. <laughs> we were on. And it was just you know those kind of things that you'll pick up on. Um, you can do with trail cameras. Sure. And the cameras we were using are you know this new technology, the cell stuff, which is great uh, because you don't have to go in there and you know leave human scent around. You right. can just kind of log on to your uh, web, the Moultrie website or whatever right. camera site it is you're using or your emails and just be like, oh man, there he is. Yeah. What's the wind doing that day? And just kind of you know, get a feel for it. And you'll start to see patterns, kind of where he's at on your farm and in the directions and that kind of stuff. And uh, But I, I just like to use them as, as learning tools. You know, it's, it's neat to see all the different deer that are moving through. That's probably the most fun part about right. it. Just, just get to see all the deer. But if you kind of are, are really... Uh, more of a you know uh just become more of a thinker and be and just kind of ask yourself you know okay why you know maybe why was he moving through there today what was the wind doing that day you know what was going on that day you know most of the time there's not going to be an answer but you know you might be able to piece some stuff together and and feel that and at least get an idea of you know when the deer are coming through there you know kind of maybe you know what what times of day do they prefer to move through there what's the wind doing on those days what time of year was it doing on those days is there a moon phase that a lot of these trail cameras have moon phases and stuff i'm not a huge believer on moon phase but i'll tell you um 
every year in November, if I had just a couple of days to hunt, it would be the darkest day, and the, you know, the, the couple of days on each side of the darkest day mm. would be the dark when the moon's you know, the yeah. moon was real dark. Yep. I just, I don't know if it has a lot to do with it, but uh, deer, uh, definitely a nocturnal animal. They're crepuscular, I think, is what they're classified as, which means they like to move in low light conditions. Um, right. But they they like to have that light. That light helps them to move at night because they can absorb it. Um, the, the cells in their eyes really allow them to absorb that ambient light. Mm-hmm. And when they don't have it, well, guess what? It's a little harder for them to move around. So when you get a darker night, I, I, tend, I tend to see more uh, big buck movement in November during the day. So if I if I had three days to hunt, it would be the new moon day in November and, and the day on each side of it, especially when it falls like second week of November. Boom, those will be the <laughs> every, every year. That's um, your big buck killing yeah, week, Yeah, right? I mean, I think I've killed more big bucks on like November 8th, 9th, and 10th than probably any other days of the year. And a couple of them have been on dark moon nights you know wow that's a great tip but uh you know everybody has their you know if you were to ask a guy what's your favorite day you know november 7th you know oh november 16th it's probably going to be the day that he shot his biggest deer on you know right you know know, i shot my biggest deer on the 19th but that's not my favorite day my favorite day is going to be you know depending on the moon the the darkest day the november usually when it lines up towards the front of the month that's the day i'd like to be in the woods i mean i can i can remember days being in the woods when everything just kind of lined up you know second week in november was a dark moon that night and just you know seeing eight nine ten different bucks go by your tree stand each day because it's just they're scrambling they're searching they're moving you know they're right. like every half an hour here comes another one you know especially yeah. when you're in one of those areas that we talked about earlier where they're forced through you know right get ready <laughs> you know but <laughs> that's, uh, that's but, uh a... yeah i mean trail cameras are a great tool and i think this the self the cell technology is just like money right because you, know, you know it's kind of game changer right kind of deal so Oh, that's I, I would also encourage people to use them. You know, um, a friend of mine, he uh, he kind of has gotten the habit of using like um, kind of the uh, not the strapped cell cameras, but kind of the ones with uh, just kind of that screw onto the tree and kind of have the attachment that's a little higher up because it kind of yeah, it hides them. I think a little bit more from other hunters. So other hunters okay, don't really yeah. key in on where you're at, especially if you got hunting pressure in that area. Um, it also kind of allows you to maybe get them up off the eye level of the deer or waist level sure a little bit and kind of point them down so uh maybe the deer don't see them quite as much because right. I, I have had pictures of some some big buck um looking like right into my camera and yeah. sometimes i'll you know i'll get those pictures and i'll get those deer again and they seem a little bit edgy looking at the camera again and then there's been other bucks that i've got looking in them that i've never ever caught them on camera on that camera in that area again so just kind of feel them, <clears> like you know it's kind of to your advantage i think to maybe hide them a little bit if you can yeah, that's a good. That's another really good tip. Yeah, and you know another thing, kind of along that too, with that angle down up from above. Um, if you are an experienced hunter who's really trying to target that, you know, a buck that's of a different class than you've shot before, a lot of times I've had the problem with kind of those, like you just said, those eye level cameras. You don't get a full shot of the buck's antlers. You know, the, yeah. it, they don't fit into the frame because right. they're yeah. too close or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Or, or maybe your trigger's a little slow on your camera that day for whatever reason. That you know, whereas if you would have had that aerial, yeah, I might get it all. Or maybe right. get a little more. Yeah. Right. So that's a that's a really helpful tip. Another thing that I think it's worth throwing out there about trail cameras. When I first started, I uh, I made a couple mistakes of putting uh, cameras up facing to the east and the west to get a lot of glare from the sun. So try to target orient them like north south, so there's maybe not as much sun. And even more importantly, if you're going to put them on the edge of a field, make sure that there's no like really, really, really tall grass that's kind of within the frame of your uh, um, your motion. 
uh, mm-hmm. sensor because if the motion center sensor is picking up that moving grass you might come back and be like man i got four thousand pictures that's awesome but <laughs> uh, most of them are going to be that moving grass in front yeah. of trail cam camera so just kind of you know you learn through experience that's kind of how i learned that one but it's just kind of a bummer when you know you're going you're scrolling through pictures <laughs> and, and thousands of them are uh, all, all grass moving around yeah so just kind of yep. be careful with that yep for sure that's a that's a real bummer when that happens well kind of here as we we finish this one up um what kind of uh, stand prep are you doing during the summer months if you have to do some? So, again, maybe we're working with this idea here, this made-up story of you lost access, you got to get a new property ready to roll for the fall. Yep. Well, it's kind of a necessary beast, you know. It's kind of something you got to do. If you lose your property and you want to hunt, you obviously got to get out there and find another piece. And usually if it's a new piece, you got to get out there and get your stands in. You know, hopefully maybe you've had uh, a chance to walk it during shed season and you got a feel for how the deer are moving around so you can kind of get some areas picked out already. You can just go slap some stands up. But, yeah, I try to I try to get it all done. You know, as soon as turkey season goes out, man, I like to try to get it done before the, you know, the real dog days, the real hot days of the summer happen because it's just, it's, you know, being out there in the sun those days just kind of <laughs> gets you quick. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I like to, like to have it done and, you know, have my stands, you know. I, I, I uh, just like to have them up and in. I spend time, I paint them in the summer. Not, I don't spend any hard time painting. I just throw slap some spray paint on the bolts and stuff. It seems to kind of cut down on the rust and kind of glare of some of the shine and get them up and get them ready and just kind of forget about them, you know, until it's time to, to yeah. get back after it and then, uh, you know, get in there and hunt them. But I like to, if if I were you guys, I'd say you know, you know, the earlier the better, you know, that depending on you know sometimes times a factor, but you know. The more time that you can get in there and, and trim your lanes and, you know, get your tree all situated and create a, an entry point for you that's going to work and it's going to be, you know, clean access. Um, and then get your stand in there, maybe lock it up if you got other people in the area so it's still there when you come back. And yeah. uh, uh, I think it's just going to be to your advantage if that if that, if that that thing just has time to sit in there and soak and just kind of let, let, let the rain hit it and let the weather work on it. And it just kind of blends and becomes part of that escape, you know, and... Uh, you go in there a week before you're gonna hunt, or you know maybe even a couple of weeks before you're gonna hunt and do that. Deer are gonna key in on that. Mm-hmm. They're gonna be like, "Ooh, something's going on over there," you know. But right. when you got months and months and months, you know, seems like uh, they kind of just kind of get used to it and accept it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's that's a that's a that's a good point. So then, if you did have to do some some work into those dog days of summer, what's kind of your your cutoff time for being on a hunting property before the hunting season like how much cool off time do you like to allow the deer to kind of because there's no doubt about it, they know when you're out there hanging right. a stand they right. know they know yeah. when you're trimming your lanes and yeah um i don't know that i that's necessarily have a, a specific cutoff time and kind of like and it kind of goes back to like you know time's a factor for a lot of guys i mean they got families they got work they got things going on just you know i'd say the earlier the better but sometimes you know you might you get a new spot right before the season starts and you don't have a really have a choice you know you just sure. go in there but uh you know if you can get it done before the season or even the first couple of weeks of season and then just leave it till november when you think it's going to be good uh you know it gets a little bit of time to yeah. calm down but sometimes you know you might see a big deer and you got to you got to make a make a move and get get over there and move your stand and cut some stuff and get in there. So you know, it just kind of depends yeah. on the situation. But I would just go back and just say, you know, you know, the earlier the better. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah that's a that's a again sound advice. You know, and we've talked about it too before with with Brandon, where you know we've we've split this up between. Uh, remote property hunting versus local property hunting, and I think when guys own 
or maybe lease a local property so they got a financial investment tied up in where they're hunting the temptation can be to be doing this stuff too much right get out there and walk around yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely and and so you know i think that kind of goes along those same lines of the earlier the better the the more you can stay away from those areas the better as well so yeah some guys will actually like lock down their farms you know into august september and they won't set set foot on them again till you know when they're ready to hunt which is which is great but i mean realistically i don't know that a lot of people can do that you know there's gonna be people in and out of farms maybe working right but uh as long as you're staying out of the areas where the deer really really feel safe which is probably the most important thing and then you know not over hunting your really good spots until it's time you know and then it's time to pile in and and hunt them but uh you know less impact you know it's gonna definitely increase your odds right right for sure well chris i i didn't uh give you any warning on this one here um just to draw this to a conclusion if you could go back and have one tip as a new hunter one tip that you think would have would have been most impactful for you as far as maybe speeding up the timeline for coming into your own as a really you know really good deer whitetail hunter what do you what do you think that tip would be? Well, I I would think that most guys that are you know, kind of new to the sport are probably trying to read and absorb and learn as much as they can to you know try to get as good as they can, mm-hmm. which is great. I mean that's that's a a great quality to have not 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 in just hunting but in life in general. But I I would remember to you know if I could give you a little bit of advice, it would be you know everybody wants to kill that big buck you know and get those big antlers and you know have that have that kind of big mount or whatever right i would i would encourage you guys not to lose sight of you know this is supposed to be fun you know if if you're putting so much pressure on yourself out in the woods that it's becoming more work than it is fun um you might want to take a step back and and take a look at why you're really out there because i think uh for a long time i put a lot of pressure on myself to kill a big deer and man when i killed that that deer that i really wanted that big one it was like a weight was lifted off my back, and I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't. Looking back at it, I, I mean, I was having fun, but at the same time, I kind of wonder if it was really worth putting that kind of pressure on myself. You know, I think so. If I could give some advice, it would just be, you know, go out there, have fun, man, and it, it's going to happen. Just uh, you go out there with the attitude that it's just going to be a learning experience, and you're going to be out there to enjoy um, and kind of learn and have fun with what's around you. I think that uh, long term it's gonna it's gonna be more beneficial for you i mean it's good to want to go big and and get a big deer but it'll happen and you just just go out there with the attitude that you're going to be learning and having fun while you before you get there and i think it's going to be a better experience for you sure that's great that's great advice that's something that brand new hunters need to hear and i think you know 30-year vets need to hear that you got to have that that right outlook that right perspective on you know can't forget why you're doing what you're doing and that is that is so important and also and also if i could just kind of throw in one other thing too is if you can share it share the experience with somebody else you know maybe your 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 hunting buddy or your or your or your a family member or a friend um i'd encourage you to do that too because it's great to be out there and enjoy but it's also a lot of fun uh sometimes even more fun to you know kind of share that experience with somebody else too right right yeah yep there's no doubt about it that 
that shared experience with somebody else the the those stories that you tell for the rest of your life you know even even into the point where you know all of us are going to reach at, you know where we're our hunting days might be behind us you know totally where yeah it's just not safe to to be doing it anymore or whatever uh those stories they keep going and if you have you have loved ones that you can sh- tell them along with right then the the more and deeper meaning that that those have and and uh, the longer those stories last i think so yeah excellent advice well thank you chris i really really appreciate uh i mean this is this is i'm looking at the the timer right now an hour and 10 minutes of just really really good information for myself as a first gen hunter and and um hopefully a whole bunch of other first gen hunters that'll that'll be be able to tap into this resource and kind of see into the brain of a guy who's poured his his uh heart and soul into chasing chasing whitetails and it's had a lot of success and had a lot of fun along the way and a lot of great stories and memories to tell and hope to have you on the show again yeah man It's, it's been great my pleasure do it yeah for sure I'm going to have to do some more shed hunting with you this spring so I can uh, learn from the master a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Well, was I wrong? Pretty incredible stuff, huh? I'm really hoping to have Chris back on the show in the future. If you are a new hunter... Re-listen to this one. Chris offers information that most new hunters won't learn until they are many seasons into deer hunting. And if you are a veteran hunter, I'm positive that there are a few tips in here that will help you fine-tune your approach before this fall. Please be sure to follow Brandon and his team on Facebook and Instagram by accessing their links through their website, thehuntfishlife.com. And of course, be sure to check out all of the stuff I have going on at firstgenhunter.com where you will also find links to my facebook instagram go wild pages please also subscribe to the first gen hunter youtube channel where i had just uploaded my first vlog finally keep leaving those reviews on itunes your support is overwhelming thank you and thank you to brandon and chris for helping me with the show until we talk again my friend take care and take someone hunting